and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Good morning, Bent Tree. <clears throat> My name is Frank, and it is just always a joy to be with you. Just a sweet time of worship. Um, it's an honor and a privilege I don't take lightly to, to fill this pulpit uh, because there are so many men that God has brought to this place uh, to feed you week in and week out, trusting God at his word. It's a rare thing. So you're in the right place. And I feel so blessed to be able to share this time with you. Um, we're going to get started in just a moment, but I want to try something. Uh, just, just like what just happened in worship to let you decide what you'll do in worship and in response to God. Listen, every week at my church, we do the same thing that you do, and we stand in honor of the reading of God's word, and that is good and right, and it's wonderful. There's nothing really bad about it, but it can become a ritual too. And so what I would love for you guys to do, I'm about to read the main passage for our morning this morning in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18, and I want you to, as long as it doesn't make you fall asleep, right, I want you to close your eyes when I read it. You can stand if you like. It's the same theme of this worship. You can stand if you like. But this is why I would want you to close your eyes. The same reason I would ask people to close their eyes when they pray, if they're comfortable with it, is just so that you can focus on God and on Him alone. There's nothing magical about closing your eyes. There's no command to close your eyes, bow your head and pray. But um, I want to leave it up to you. And I want you, as you close your eyes, to realize that this church believes this, I believe this, church history professes this, and common sense allows this, that God's word really is his word. So when you close your eyes, when you don't have to, I'm not forcing you to, but I want you to picture the Lord Jesus, who is the one speaking this, recognizing that it's God's word, and just respond to it however you would, okay? I'm going to read our passage. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, uh, as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your, he- your father will not forgive you of your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that their fasting is obvious to people. 
Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put on oil and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your word. Father, would you protect us this morning? Father, would you have mercy on me as I try? Father, we, we come with the Psalm 39, 23 through 24 request. Lord, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our concerns. See if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. Father, we're so excited for what you'll do, and we give this time to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> Friends, one of my favorite times of year is the fall, and it's for a really shallow purpose. I love to watch college football. I love to watch it. It really doesn't matter who's playing. I just enjoy watching it. I know it's, it's a waste of time. I know, you know, it's, I get it. I understand. Everybody's got their hobbies, right? One of my hobbies is watching college football. Yesterday, my wife surprised me with hot wings from Wingstop while I was watching football. I can't think of a more perfect situation. It was glorious. But I remember one of the best college football games I ever watched. Uh, it was in 2020. It was January 13th, 2020, with two teams that I really don't have a dog in the fight, right? It was against Clemson and LSU. Now, my mom went to LSU, and, and my grandfather taught there, and, and so there's some connection there, but really, I was just ready to watch some good football, because, I mean, let's be honest, the 2019 season of the Colorado State Rams was abysmal. <laughs> so I was ready to watch some professional football, right? I was ready to watch these artists go out and paint a picture. I mean, I needed to see some good football. I watched it. I was at school. I was in Fort Worth Hall at my seminary watching with my friend on his laptop while we ate uh, Chinese takeout. Like, that's how much I remember this scene. And what proceeded to happen, and some of you might remember this game, was one of the greatest college football games that has ever been played. This isn't isn't an exaggeration. Between two of the greatest teams that have ever played. Right, Those teams in that span of time, those teams, Clemson and LSU during that time, both teams had perfect records coming into that season. The quarterback for Clemson, uh, Trevor Lawrence, had never lost a game, if I understand this correctly, had never lost a game in high school and college regular season. Never. That's unheard of. He looked like sunshine from Remember the Titans, right? Still does. He looks like he was created in a lab. Like, And God bless him, he's at the Jacksonville Jaguars now, and I'm, I'm sorry about that for him, but... This game was really, really, I mean, and then you had on the other side, you had LSU. Again, perfect season. The quarterback, Joe Burrow, won the Heisman, perfect season. And I mean, what they did on that field, LSU ended up winning. What they did on that field was incredible. Just go watch, go Google, YouTube. I mean, even if you don't like football, just, just watch what they did. It's like superhuman. My jaw was on the floor. Remember, I'm not used to seeing football like that because I root for Colorado State. <laughs> Here's the deal. Joe Burrow instantly caught my attention. Instantly. I was like, who is this guy? He, had, he was so calm and collected. He, he had, he's calm under pressure. I mean, he probably did talk trash, but if he did, nobody knew about it. And what I did, I had to find out more about this guy. So it turns out he was a multi-sport athlete when he was growing up, ended up focusing on football, eventually made his way to Ohio State University, where he served for two years, all right, for two years as a backup, as a backup. Because there's so much talent on that team. Always, there's so much talent on Ohio State's team that he was a backup. Now imagine, one of the greatest college football players to ever play the game sitting on the bench. 
Who knows what will happen with his NFL legacy? I mean, he did go to the Super Bowl this last year, but who knows what will happen with that? But his legacy in college is cemented. He's one of the greatest to ever play the game. Incredible. But he was a backup. So what happens when you have that much talent sitting on the bench? He ends up finding a new team. Ends up going to LSU for his last two years. Two of the greatest seasons for LSU history. I don't think it'll ever be that good for that school again. So it's no wonder why a tweet or actually an interview of him, a clip from a video of him went viral last year. When the interviewer asked him, the interviewer asked him, what advice do you have for up and coming athletes? And this is what he said. It went viral, went everywhere. This is what Joe Burrow said. Focus on getting better. Don't have a workout and post on Instagram the next day and then go sit on your rear end. That's my substitute. The next day, and everyone thinks you're working hard, but you're not. Work in silence. Don't show anyone what you're doing. Let your performance on Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sunday nights show all the hard work you put in. Don't worry about all that social media stuff. In this day and age, that's the opposite of common sense. But when you have Joe Burrow saying that, it got everybody's attention. Because what do we want to do? Not just football players, but what do you and I want to do? We want the world to look at us. We want the world to praise us. It's a natural tendency for all humans. We want to be the best. We want to be praised. I use the excuse a lot that I have the love language of words of affirmation. When really, I just like to be praised. I like to be the center of attention. I like to perform well. The world needs to revolve around me. Let me tell you, this is so easy to do in your Christian walk. It's so easy to do in your Christian walk. We're going to dive into this today, but the whole nature of our talk today is the private nature of our faith and the public nature of our faith and how if we don't have one, we shouldn't have the other. The first point of our talk today is really, it's a question. And this is the question. What reward are we looking for? What reward are we, re- are we looking for? I'm asking you that question. I'm asking myself that question. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And the first verse of this chapter, chapter encapsulates the meaning of the whole chapter. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and I can't stress this enough. Verse 1 encapsulates the whole purpose and theme of all of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Remember, what's the first point? What reward are we looking for? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Verse 2. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Jesus primarily has the religious authorities in mind when he's saying this. The people that he's speaking to would understand immediately what he's talking about. He's primarily talking about the Pharisees. Politically powerful, religiously powerful. And they love to make a spectacle of their spiritual disciplines. They love everybody to know how righteous They were, even with something like giving to the poor. And he says something interesting. Remember, what's their purpose? He says, so when you give, he says, don't be like them because they want to be seen and applauded by the people. You find the purpose there of their actions. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. What does he mean by that? He means, it's like this. If I preach to you today and you think I've done a good job, and I'm doing it for you to say that I've done a great job, and you come up after And you give me a hug and you say, that's the best sermon that I've ever heard. First, I would know that you'd be lying. But second, here's the deal. 
I, and I receive that praise, realize, I need to realize if that's my goal, if that's my ambition, if that's my focus, that's the extent of my reward. No eschatological reward coming for that sermon. In the kingdom of God, I would go so far as to say it's useless, apart from God working in spite of me. He gives the point of what they're wanting to do. He says they want, they're doing this for the applause of people. Listen, guys, they have the reward. What's the reward? Look at that Pharisee. Man, I wish I was as holy as him. But when you give to the poor, so he assumes that we're doing that. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be seen where? In secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This left hand and right hand thing, it was explained to me pretty well by a a commentator. He says, that is, it should be so secret that the giver readily forgets what he gave. How many of you have been to a building, most likely it's a school or a church or something like that, where there's a plaque on everything? Have you ever seen this? my, My seminary is guilty of this, where I went to school. There's a plaque everywhere. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a plaque on the back of a toilet. I mean, like, in memory of Louise. You know what I mean? Like, what? If I die, please don't put my name on a park bench. I mean, like, if you've, if you've done that, great. Does you want to honor somebody else? But have you ever seen a college building and that same college building has the same name all over the, every college in the state of Colorado? Look, we want to be remembered. We want to be praised. We want to be acknowledged. Look what I've done. I donated $3 million to fill in the blank. I donated $5. Look, there's other sermons and other pastors about giving. We need to give. But for what purpose? But for what audience? But for what purpose? But for what audience? Jesus makes the bold statement and say, do it in secret. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But then, remember the reward? What's the better reward? The better reward comes from the Father. So that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The eternal reward, which Jesus will talk about later in this chapter, invest in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Make your primary audience the Father who will reward you in the next age. That's secure. That's permanent. You can count on it. What you can't count on is this. Look at how awesome you are. He uses this same theme and he goes to another spiritual discipline, praying. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the actors, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners for what purpose? To be seen. It's important that we not miss that. They're doing it to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Same theme, same principle. But what, do we, what should we do instead, Jesus, when we pray? But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This one's a little bit more common for our day and age, right? My daughter wisely asked a couple weeks ago when I, when I showed her this passage, she goes, well, is it bad for us to play, pray in public? Is it bad for us to pray at conferences? Is it bad for us to, what's the preacher doing? Look, there's so many talks out there, there's so many sermons out there, so many biblical passages that command the proclamation of God's word, and we're going to talk about that. But the point here is, what's the motive? Is praying in public bad? Of course not. We need that. We need to pray out loud together. Is singing as loud as you can and with excellence bad on its own? Of course not. We need to do that. There are biblical commands for all of the spiritual disciplines. But to what end? For what purpose? What audience? Why are we doing it? 
For who are we doing it? For whom are we doing it? He says, he gives this instruction, go into the private room or your, your translation might say closet, right? But we know that it's not like our modern day closet. It's a walk-in closet that we go in. Here's the point. Find a private place. And this is the way I would put it, where nobody knows what you're saying and nobody will know what you're saying other than God the Father. And here's the joy of it. Here's the freedom in it. He hears you. He rewards you. There are a few things as freeing as being in your car driving down the road. Of course, our eyes wide open on that one. Ours, uh, you're driving down uh, Highway 25 and you're led to pray because of the anger that's just swelling up in you from I-25 traffic. But you can say whatever you want. Picture this going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to God, to the Father. And that's my goal. That's my ambition. I'm not going to use this prayer for an illustration for a Bible study. It's for his ears. And he will reward me. Can you see the intimacy of that moment? If you need a closet to go in and shut the door and do that with, great. A part of your prayer life needs to be something that I never know about. A part of your prayer life needs to be something that I never know about. It's really common these days. We don't have trumpets that announce our giving and our prayer and all that stuff, but we do have Instagram. We do have Twitter. We do have Facebook. There's some good comedians out there that have, you know, they talk about how you have to perfectly position the Bible and you've got the candle right here and then you've got another candle right there, fire burning in the background with a golden retriever laying there. You know what I mean? Even though the house never looks like that, even though it's the first time you've opened your Bible in two months, but we really want people to, boy, I've been guilty of this. Have you? Maybe not Facebook, but have you ever just wanted to be acknowledged for your service to the Lord publicly? It's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. Give it to God. Let him a reward. Let your heart and mind be exhilarated by the fact that the creator of the universe, the Yahweh that we talked about is listening. How cool is that? How refreshing is that? How comforting is that? How secure can you feel knowing he's hearing me? And nobody else has to. And your father who sees in secret will reward reward you in secret. He gives another negative example. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they may be heard by their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. This reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 when Solomon says this. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer sacrifice as fools do. For they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, also a fool's voice comes with many words. This is not condemning long prayers. What it's condemning is the heart, the posture before God. We can't leave it with Solomon. We've got to go to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. On the other side of the cross, bathed in grace. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, or your version might say confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. 
This is a confidence and pride in ourselves versus total reliance on King Jesus. Do you see the, you see the distinction? Jesus here says, don't babble on like the Gentiles. Solomon says, look, a bunch of words. I mean, it's a good way to fall into the pit of the fool. Look, some of your prayers will be short. Some of your prayers will be long. But what's the point? What's the purpose? What's the audience? What's the end goal? Do you come into the throne room of God, kicking down the door in arrogance and pride, saying, of course you should listen to me. Look at my standing. Or do you come in recognizing who God is, and when you realize the grace that's been given to you, you with humility, awe, and reverence climb up into his lap and go, I love you, and I know you love me too. It's not by my own power that I have an audience with you. It's only because of mercy and grace provided to me through the holy life and holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Don't let legalism sneak in, friends. Legalism is a, is a cage. Legalism is a poison. We're talking about the evil of hypocrisy and acting like we all do. We could spend so much time talking about the evil of legalism where you only pray in secret. And if somebody asks you how to pray and for, get instruction and inspiration on how to pray and go, that's none of your business. Leave me alone. The issue is why are we doing it and for what audience? Jesus then says something, we already saw it, but in verse 8 where he says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Can we lean into that comfort as well? Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to pray, but you find yourself inadequate while you're doing it? You can't come up with the right words in your mind to pray and and you just feel like you're babbling a little bit. You feel like you're like, God, I don't really know. There's so many things going on and blah, blah, blah. Isn't it comforting to know that God the Father knows what you need before you even ask him? And then, in his divine plan, it's something I don't totally understand, of course, he then commands us to pray. (laughs) If he already knows, then why do I do it? Because he told us to. Not only did he tell us to, he gave us a breakdown instruction in what we're about to read. How do we pray then? Jesus says, do this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. I wish we had enough time to unpack the Lord's Prayer in its entirety, but of course that would be doing it an injustice. Suffice it to say that every major catechism in the history of the church has included an instruction on the Lord's Prayer. Some people saying, oh, the Lord's Prayer, it's just, don't, you don't need to repeat it verbatim. It's just, like, it's just a model. When the Lord Jesus instructed us, here is how you pray. And we go, but not really, though. <laughs> I mean, right, Jesus? It's more of like a metaphor. This is how you pray. Isn't this freeing? I would go so far as to say this. If you find yourself not knowing what to pray or or how to go about it, just start with this. Just start with these words. Of course, don't mimic it like a parrot or something, but think about these words and pray pray scripture to God. it'll, It'll remove you from that feeling of stagnant. He says, man, we need to honor the Lord as holy. We need to anticipate his kingdom. 
Help us, Lord. Give us what we need, Lord. We need bread. We need clothes. He talks about that further in the chapter. Give us what we need, God. And allow us to forgive others as we uh, as, as we've been forgiven, and Lord, please protect us from temptation. You know, Jesus, what we just saw in Hebrews, he experienced temptation, but never fell into sin. And we get to pray on behalf, on, by the permission of our brother Christ. We get to pray, Lord, protect us from temptation and deliver us from e- the evil one. Protect us from the devil. You, you can use this as a model prayer, and then he gives this really... Curious warning for some of us, really stark warning for some of us. I mean, anytime Jesus talks about heaven or hell, don't we perk up a little bit as we should? (laughs) Wait, what'd you say? (laughs) For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive you of your offenses. I've said this before. I might've even said it here before, but holding a grudge, withholding forgiveness is not a characteristic of a Christ follower. I would go so far as to say it's not even possible permanently. And you say, well, you don't know what that person did. No, I don't. And I don't need to know. And it might have been awful. But I will say that a Christian does not have permission by our master to withhold forgiveness to somebody else, regardless of what they've done. Let me put it this way as well. Offering forgiveness freely to the worst of the worst, or the person you hate the most, is a sign that you are a believer. Withholding forgiveness, saying, I will not do it, and there's nothing you can say to do it. You don't know what person A did to me. That's a scary place to be. And I would follow the direction of Paul to examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. If at its base, I can't forgive somebody, when I think of what I've been forgiven of, even this morning, Singing and listening to these songs, can you be amazed with me at the mercy and forgiveness of God? We deserve nothing but death and hell. And he said, no. How can we, how can we remove that opportunity from somebody else? I, you say, I've been forgiven. I've reached this echelon. But look at what you did. Waller in your pity. Waller in your punishment. Maybe you can figure it out like I've figured it out. Oh, God help us from that stance. We have no right. I don't want to lessen what you've been through. I don't know what you've been through. But Jesus does. I know that there are going to be people in heaven that we're going to be shocked to see. (laughs) There are going to be people in heaven, not because of universalism or other heresies like that, but because they repented and they put their faith in Jesus. There's going to be people that you don't like in heaven. God help us. He says, listen, this forgiveness deal is a big deal. Finally, whenever you fast. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive. For what purpose, Jesus? So that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others. But to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see this theme. Fasting is not as common in the West, but... I saw it more when I was in college and in Christian ministry in college. And you might have encountered somebody that says, no, I, I can't eat that. I'm, I'm fasting. <laughs> of all of the different things that we've talked about today, this is one where I go, just don't tell us. 
Just don't tell us. If you have an accountability partner, they need to know. I would, I would go as far as to say they need to know. Make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. But they, they need to know. Here's the other warning I would give to fasting. Uh, there was a guy in my former church that literally went to the hospital. He was a senior adult because he decided to do a 40-day fast, even though he was diabetic, even though he had all these medical needs and all these things. And you see, you're wincing right now because you see what's going to happen. He went, to the, he went to the hospital. And we're all like, why did Bill go to the hospital? And eventually he unveiled the fact that he was fasting. Listen, friends, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Let the Lord lead your fasting. Fasting is primarily about food in the same way that washing feet is primarily about washing feet. But here's the deal. It can encompass so much more. God will lead you in what you need to break from in order that you can focus on him totally. Be careful when you fast and do it for an audience of the Father. He says, put on, put on ointment. Go get a cup of coffee or whatever it is. If that's not what you're fasting from, be joyful. Don't let anybody know. It's not their business. You're doing it for your eternal reward. That has been given to you out of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me reiterate this. Sharing your faith, reading your Bible, worshiping in church, church attendance, praying, fasting, giving. None of those things can get you into heaven, whether it's secret or public. Only the sacrifice of Jesus being accepted to you in faith, by grace, you're allowed into the presence of God in heaven for an eternity. The follower of Christ will hear these words and go, oh, I I receive your instruction. I will move forward. Here's the deal, guys. We've talked about the private nature of our faith. We've talked about the private nature of our faith. A good way that I think about it a lot is, man, it's just none of anybody's business. (laughs) What I say to my father. Here's the deal. I'm reminded, and this is a good filter for anything that I post. This is a good filter for anything that I write, anything that I say publicly. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says something as he's about to give the example of humility of Christ. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. (laughs) Man, does that rule some stuff out. Do nothing. You mean, what about generosity, philanthropy? Don't do it out of selfish ambition or conceit. What about praying? Don't do it out of selfish ambition or conceit. What about fasting? Don't do it. What about Bible reading? What about climbing the ladder in this? What about uh, organizing this? What about starting a nonprofit? What about do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit? He says, but in humility, consider others as as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he gives the example of the incarnation and the ultimate expression of humility, Jesus coming to earth to be born poor, to be born in a manger. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. When I read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, I'm reminded of the question, what reward am I looking for? What audience am I seeking? Why am I doing this thing? Let's be more specific. Why do we post? Hmm. Why do we preach? Asking the individual. Why do we teach? Why do we share the gospel? Hmm. Why do we witness to people? Why do we write books? Here's a good filter. It's kind of a Philippians 2, 3 through 4 filter. Check with him before you post. Check with him before you write. I would go so far as to say, check with him before you share your faith. Check on what? The question, why am I doing it? 
Why am I doing it? And here's the, here's, the, here's the beauty of it. If we ask him, he will reveal our motives. Like that. Are you with me? When we check with him, when we pause to not impulsively go, when we check with him, he will show us why we're doing it. And here's why I'm saying that. That should bring us comfort. That should bring us comfort. I shared something a few weeks ago that I did impulsively. And to attack another person on Facebook. Can we pause and feel how pathetic that is? And he called me out on it. And so, have you ever like come out of a sin like that? And you kind of, it's like you're having an out-of-body experience and you look at it and you just go, I mean like, oh, that was silly. That was dumb. So I had to call him and repent. And it's just stopped me in my tracks ever since to go, why? Why did I do that? Look at me, I'm smart. Look at me, I know the answers. Look at me, I'm whimsical sometimes. I can be funny. Can you tell me more about myself? Why don't we check with him first? And what that will allow us to do is to go public with our faith. (laughs) I know that sounds like a leap. I know that sounds like a huge dichotomy. Keep your relationship with the Father. Now let's go tell everybody about it, right? Here's here's the thing. Let 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 me put it this way. Even in the chapter right before where we've been, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what's the result? And give glory to your Father in heaven. The works of the Pharisees gave no glory to the Father. It gave glory to them. My Facebook posts sometimes give glory to me and not to the Father. Nobody looks at an argument online and goes, man, praise God. I just want to praise God. Don't you want to praise God? Are you with me? Ooh, I just feel close to Jesus right now when I see them arguing online. Remember, the question is, to what point, to what end, for what audience, for what reward? But here's the beauty of this. Guys, just like Christians are not allowed to withhold forgiveness to somebody else in that same breath, Christians are not allowed to keep their faith private. If we don't have the private faith, let's not, mo- let's not go public. But when you know that you're in a relationship with God, when God has given you that assurance, and you know why you're doing it even though you fail all the time, man, we got to go. We got to share. I'll put it this way. Bentry, you are here for a reason. Bentry, Loveland needs you to go public with your faith. It's time to stop making it just about us. Bentry, Loveland needs you to go public with your faith. Parents, Your kids need to see you taking steps to knowing Jesus better. Say that again. Parents, your kids need to see you taking steps uh, to knowing Jesus better. Don't make your praise come from your kids. Don't put on a show for your kids. But let's be honest. Our kids need to see what it looks like for grown men and women to repent. Our kids need to see what it looks like for mom and dad, grandma and grandpa to read their Bible and to make it a priority. 
Have your kids ever walked in on you reading the Bible? You're not doing it for them. Understand, though, that they need to see this. Students, your friends need to see the light of the gospel in you. College, high school, junior high. In the world that we live in right now, friends, I understand. It's scary. It doesn't make sense. It's like, man, I need to keep this private so I won't get made fun of, so that I won't be abused. Friends, I can tell you with just honesty this morning that in the last month, because I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, I've been called several mean things. (laughs) And I'm not used to that, and it bothers me. Remember the words of affirmation part. Yeah, you'll be hated if you believe God at his word. It's just, it's just a fact. You'll be mistreated for it. In northern Colorado, in the Denver metro area, in this part of the country, it will not be popular for you to be a light in a dark place. But here's the cool thing. God is going to continue to save people. God is going to continue to regenerate people. God is going to continue to rescue people even though you get made fun of even though you get maligned, even though you are not in power. He's going to continue to save people. And in his divine mystery, he's allowed us to be a part of that. Bentry, Loveland needs you to be a light in the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 talks about how there are good works that are prepared for you before the foundation of the world for you to do. Look, we got to be active. We got to go. But we have to come back to the instruction of Jesus and go, why are we doing it? When we are motivated by a love for God, we are freed to do what he called us to do in a lost and dying world. Let me say it again. When we are motivated by a love for God, we are freed to do what he called us to do in a lost and dying world. I hope you see the freedom that this provides. You don't have to perform anymore. There's no ladder here for you to climb. You don't have to perform anymore. There's no ladder here for you to climb. It's better than that. If you're a child of God and you spend just a little bit of time looking at what that means, what your new identity is, it'll blow your mind. When we see what God has given us through his son, And we don't have time for the public praise of people. You're free if you're willing. You're free if you're willing. So it's great. So here's what I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. We're about to sing again. Here's what could be your temptation. As soon as they start singing, you're like, I'm not raising my hand if you give me a million dollars. You know, no way. You know what I mean? Like, none of your business. You know, I hope you haven't heard that. My instruction would be spend some time with the Lord and we're going to give you that opportunity here in a moment. Ask him to reveal the intentions of your heart and then sing in freedom. Sing loud for him. Not for Jeff or Paul or Hunter or one of the elders or somebody that you really need to know that you're doing well. No, no, no. Just don't do it for the praise of people. Do it for the God that's ready to receive your praise. In full assurance that you're his Christian. Can't reiterate enough. No spiritual discipline can save you. No seminary degree can make you more righteous with God. 
No, no, no. No, no acts, no righteous acts can get you in a place where you're good enough, smart enough, and all these things to enter into the kingdom of God. Realize, friends, that we're given this instruction from the God that died for us so that we could have a stance with God that allows you in your car even today or in an empty house, in your cubicle before the workday starts. Nobody knows what you're doing, but you're praying. It allows you to have an audience with the king. And he's ready and willing to hear you. As we're about to sing, I would love for you to close your eyes with me. And this is scripture. It's the only reason that I feel comfortable guiding you through it. But we're going to look again at the words of Psalm 139. And I want you to just take this time and let God show you the motives of your heart in righteous things. In the privacy of your heart, that means silently, with your eyes closed if you would. Repeat this after me, if you mean it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. God says through the rest of Matthew 6, he says, don't don't worship money. I know what you need. He goes on to say, don't be anxious. What good does that do? He is ready and willing to meet you even here in this seat at Bentry Church as you worship. When the time comes for them to sing, you do what God leads you to do and be free as you do it knowing that your Father is ready to reward you. Father, I give you this church. I give you these people. Father, I thank you so much for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Without it, I'm completely hopeless. And I thank you, God, for the hope you've provided in your Son, the freedom you've provided in your Son. Thank you for the warnings you've given us today in Scripture. Thank you for guiding us. I pray, Lord, that as we sing today, I pray, Lord, that the believers in this room would feel free. And I pray, Lord, for anybody that doesn't know you, God, that they would believe in faith that you are who you say you are. That they would acknowledge you as Lord and believe that you've risen again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.